0: After over a decade of nonprofit leadership impacting thousands, we hit a wall. We started asking ourselves, how can we go beyond personal success and leave a legacy that lasts far beyond our lifetimes?
1: A job change and a couple pivots into for-profit leadership later, we're on the search to get that question answered.
0: If you're a leader who cares deeply about supporting nonprofits from the inside or from the outside, this podcast is for you.
1: We believe that the world needs what you are going to leave behind, and it's our passion to help you find that thing and build
0: it. I'm Ted. And I'm Lisa. Welcome to the Legacy Builders Movement. The last couple weeks, we've been having a really important conversation about sort of how to end the year strong and to start the next year strong. As you come to the close of a year, especially for nonprofits, it's so important. Charities, people are thinking about being generous. They're starting to think about... Their, their next year right they're trying to make plans for how can I be a better person and one of the ways that a lot of people want to do that is to partner with nonprofits so this end of year and beginning of the next year is such a crucial time for nonprofits so we've been covering things like how to set up uh, for giving season how to you know how to set your year planning and start thinking about your events calendar for the next year so we wanted to round that conversation out with a an essential and extremely important piece of that, which is your volunteer plans going into the next year and into the end of this year.
1: Mm -hmm. This is a really important conversation because a lot of times nonprofits will think through the future and say, here's what we need to raise in order to support the programs that we have, or here are the fundraising activities we need to do. Um, But it's really easy to forget to plan for how many volunteers – Uh, Not just that you're going to need, but you're going to want to be able to pull off these events. Um, Creating the events in a way that actually supports getting volunteers in. Um, Excuse me. Uh, But then also making sure that you're looking ahead for your organization, not just saying, I can do this myself. So many leaders, whether you're at the top of an organization or you're leading in the middle of the organization, have this idea of I only need one or two volunteers and I can handle everything else myself. Instead of asking, how many volunteers am I going to need 12 months from now? How many volunteers am I going to want 12 months from now? You should probably double whatever number you're thinking and then start figuring out what volunteer roles you can start creating now and going into next year so that you are building toward that goal.
0: And you may even be thinking right now, well, we're kind of good on volunteers, or we don't really need volunteers at all. We have a decent staff, the money that we're getting in, we can just handle everything without asking people to give their time. And this is a huge pitfall for a lot of organizations, because for one, people want to be involved with what you're doing, and you're kind of robbing them the opportunity to do it unless they're staff, which... Mm-hmm. Honestly, is kind of mean. <laughs> um, and secondarily, this is this is huge. When you have people who volunteer, they are committed to your organization. And sometimes volunteering is the easiest way to get somebody just to get their foot wet a little bit about caring a little more about what it is that you're accomplishing. And so setting up volunteer positions leads to more donations. Setting up volunteer positions leads to future growth plans and the ability to bring on more staff. It's way better to hire someone who's been a killer volunteer than to try to hire outside about 95% of the time. Mm
1: -hmm. And I've heard some um, nonprofit leaders say things like, well, I mean, if someone's going to volunteer, they might not give as much. Or I would rather them just donate their money versus donate their time. And the issue with this type of thinking is that it's very, very binary. Either they will give their money or they will give their time. But some people won't give their money until they've actually started to get to know the organization. Mm -hmm. And so it might be that they're like, well, if I can't give my time, I'm just not going to give anything at all, simply because there's not space for them to get involved. Other times, you might have people who just are not capable at this moment of giving money, but they are good quality people who could really help your organization in terms of giving time. And they're actually more likely to talk about your organization. If they're donating their time within your organization, think about it. They're hanging out with people who they know they're like, Oh, what'd you do this week? Most people aren't going to be like, Oh, I gave a hundred bucks away. (laughs) But other people say, Oh yeah, Friday I went and Mm don't, I went and volunteered for this place. And so it really, um, increases the number of people who are going to hear about your organization, the more volunteers you get involved. And we've seen time and time again that as an organization increases its volunteerism, the amount of money that it's able to bring in increases. This is a little bit different if a nonprofit is specifically only doing like grant and that kind of funding with grants. Right. Um, but if you're leaning on donations from individuals or businesses um, getting your volunteer numbers up is one of the easiest ways to increase the amount of funding that you have to work with.
0: And Lisa, you're totally right in saying that most people think it's sort of binary, like, oh, you know, either they give their time or they give their money. And, you know, some people that's sort of their attitude, like you'll talk to them. And that's kind of the the feeling you'll get when you talk to people like, oh, well, I can't volunteer, but I can give 50 bucks, you know. So then you start thinking, oh, OK, people who can't volunteer will give money and people who can't give money will volunteer. And while that might be kind of true, in in like a lot of circumstances, what Lisa is saying is there are tons more variables at play here mm-hmm. than what that one person can bring at this moment to the organization. Yeah, it's their networks, it's their passion level, it's the people in their family that you know are along for the ride, and it's. It's so much, it's it's their their social media posts. It's like, it's marketing, it's everything. When you get volunteers having an incredible experience serving in your organization, with your organization, it covers so many things, as long as it's healthy. Obviously, if you're like, just wrecking people in the process and destroying their lives <laughs> by making them volunteer too much or, you know, guilting them into being there all the time and their families are falling apart. Like that's negative marketing right. and stuff for you. But if you're able to enrich people's lives deeply through the process of getting them involved in volunteering, you're going to see all of these things start to rise because it's like, how do how do I say this? It's like, um, It's like a pizza, right? Like, and the volunteers is the quality of ingredients. There's only so much you can do with pizza if you got bad ingredients. Mm. But when you got really good ingredients, it's kind of like, it's sort of hard to mess it up. Mm -hmm. And that's the way that volunteerism works. It raises just the overall quality level because people are becoming more passionate. You're able to see into the organization in ways that you couldn't before because now you're having to figure out how can I inspire someone to give a, give a little bit of time and I'm not going to pay them. Like that makes you have to work as a leader to figure out what actually works with our organization. What isn't working with our organization? How can I communicate? Like it makes you a better leader to have to bring in volunteers. Everything rises.
1: And if you can figure that out, you'll actually become more effective at asking for giving.
0: Absolutely. Like if you
1: can get someone to commit to donating two hours a week to your organization, show them the value that it brings them, the value that brings your organization and why it matters and it's helping the community. If you can effectively get someone to do that, the giving conversations will be easier simply because you'll have all of those pieces already put together. And it's, I'd say socially, it's harder to ask for money. But in reality, it's harder to keep a volunteer who is seeing what's going on behind the scenes engaged in wanting to stay uh, for a consistent amount of time for a long period of time.
0: Yeah, it forces your organization to be better. Mm-hmm. And that's what makes everything rise, is that your organization is better. They're accomplishing more. They're doing it in a way that's healthy for everybody involved. People are feeling really good about what they're accomplishing. They're seeing the results. That's the kind of stuff that attracts volunteers and retains volunteers. And guess what? That's also the same thing that attracts donors. That's also the same thing that attracts amazing board members and peop- and, and great advisors. And so... That's the conversation we're going to have, but we had to sort of like say that up front because if you're an organization that has never even used volunteers before, we're going to challenge you to figure out how to start using some volunteers, Mm -hmm. like figure out a way, like, I don't care if they come in and they lick envelopes, like figure out a way to use, utilize volunteers because it's going to make everything in your organization rise as long as you're working on making that environment worth it for those volunteers, if it's worth it for someone to give up their time, it's definitely worth it for a business owner to write a thousand dollar check. You know, it's like, it's like a no, it's a no brainer then.
1: Easy. Yeah. (coughs) So I guess that's a great segue into the first part of this is if you've never used a volunteer before, you've never brought volunteers into your organization before. Sometimes it's really easy to think I just don't need volunteers because I'm successfully doing it all. So, what volunteer role do I create? And right off the bat, you need to know that you do not want to create a volunteer role that does not actually matter at all. Um, yeah,
0: don't just have them come up and lick envelopes and then not use the envelopes. Yeah,
1: I was. Um, we were <laughs> talking to um, a couple of friends recently, and they were telling us about a nonprofit. And this leader had a key volunteer who was showing up every week to help the organization. And the leader started getting kind of tired. And she's like, you know what? I, I don't really want to do this anymore. And the leader's response was like, okay, that's fine. We don't need it. And I was like,
0: oh, no. Oh,
1: no. Like, you just told them all of the time. Like, you want to create positions that are valuable to you and that are also actually valuable to the organization. It's not that you want positions that are going to completely like crumble the organization if one person leaves, but I mean, that person, I was like, they're never going to volunteer for your organization again. Why would they ever show back up the minute that they found out that weeks and hours worth of time really didn't matter at all? No one misses them. No one cares. Like, (laughs) it's terrible. Um, So right away, make sure that the volunteer roles that you're creating aren't like those little arbitrary things that you're like, well, I guess we need a volunteer, but I don't want to put effort into the person. So I'm just going to give them a job that no one really cares about. And it's not going to make a difference. Like you need to create something that's valuable for the person, understand the value that you're bringing. A way to figure this out is simply to look at your job, write down everything that you do, And figure out a couple categories of different tasks where maybe you have a few things that are kind of consistent that you can train someone in on one time and then they can come in every week or every month and help with them and actually start moving stuff off of your plate. Because if you only bring in volunteers, but you never hand anything off of your plate as a leader, you're just going to have more work to do because you have to do all of your stuff plus lead the volunteers. Right, But if you can bring in volunteers, over time, your job will become less about the tasks and more about caring for the people. And that is a good transition to make.
0: Now, you might be thinking, oh, my gosh, like I as a as a nonprofit leader, I'm pretty good at like getting grant money or like asking for donations. But like I'm not great at managing people or like leading people or that kind of stuff. And that might be very true. Guess what? You just found out that you have a great volunteer position. You just got to find. A leader. <laughs> you you need to find a person who loves people and who wants to like link arms with people and do stuff together. And mm-hmm. I can I guarantee you can think of at least three or four people in your life right now who are like that. Mm-hmm. And so you want to be thinking when you're bringing in volunteers who are people who can take things off my plate that I can systemize and automate. Also, what are some of my weak spots as a leader? I might have might not have the money to be able to hire a staff member that can do these things, but those weak spots still need to be filled in in order to round out our organization. And believe me, we've worked with top quality, like the kind of volunteer leaders that like if there was staff money, you hire them, mm-hmm. but there isn't. And you just you figure out ways to make their time valuable for them to show up. And like, these are people who could probably get a job at a bigger nonprofit doing the same exact thing that they're doing for free with our nonprofit, but because they cared about it Mm -hmm. so much, what we were doing. They said, you know what? I'm not going to try to like, go get a job at some other nonprofit doing this. I'm going to focus on building this organization, Mm -hmm. even if I don't get paid money because I care so much.
1: Yeah, and I've there are leaders that will say, oh, we just need one more staff member. I have to tell you, if you can get three or four quality people volunteering, they can cover what a staff member could bring to your organization and then some. Like you have to learn how to set up the systems and utilize them correctly, but the amount of work that you can get done through volunteers if you set up the things correctly and the amount of people that they can bring in if you allow them to also bring people in to help them with their staff It's phenomenal how much a nonprofit that's volunteer-based that learns how to do that really well can accomplish with only a handful of staff.
0: And like we said before, that is a road toward getting more funds to be Mm -hmm. able to get more staff. So it's like, it's kind of like people saying like, oh, gosh, I can't, you know, I can't do this until I have, I can't do y until i have x what's well, like actually you're not going to get y until you figure out how to get x
1: and a huge benefit of this is when the money comes and you are able to hire someone um you already know who the people are that you would hire yeah
0: you've been doing an interview process up to this The point, whole then. thing
1: is an interview process you know which leaders are consistent you know which ones show up you know which ones care about your organizations
0: who have the capacity your, to lead others
1: yep you know the ones who get it it being like your culture your heart, what you want to see happen. You already know those people. So by the time you're at a position where you're like, I need to hire someone, you already know who that person is. It's not bringing in a whole outside person and retraining them. It's basically like, all right, you're going to do what you've been doing, just more, and we're going to pay you for it. Um, This is also where you get your future board members. Nonprofits that don't have volunteers tend to struggle fulfilling board positions when life inevitably happens and people need to step out or step aside for a season. Or
0: retire or pass away. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like they of- just get old and then then if you don't have a board, you can't operate.
1: Mm-hmm. And the quality of your board members will often come from your volunteer base. Now, if you have high quality volunteers, it might be that one of them becomes a board member or it might be that they're high quality people who know great people who are great mentors mm-hmm. and advisors. And who would be able to hold that fiduciary role and bring them in as board members to your organization? Um, I just—it's—it's it's so hard to watch nonprofits have boards that are not full of people who either understand what the heart of the leader is, um, or who just don't have much to give in way of advising or mentoring or speaking in life into the organization and they're just filling a spot because the Mm -hmm. leader got desperate and didn't want their nonprofit shut down. Volunteerism can help this. Big time. Big time because you're getting to know people before you offer them a position that could drastically change the direction of your organization.
0: Yeah. So let's talk a little bit now about how to plan for volunteerism going into the next year, right? Cause we're coming into year end right now. We got next year. We talked about event planning. We talked about donation planning and all that stuff. How do you plan for volunteer growth? Cause hopefully everybody who's listening is thinking, Oh, I don't, I don't really use volunteers. I should start using volunteers. Or they're thinking I have, we, we are a volunteer based organization, I should be increasing the amount of volunteer positions that we have available. So how do do we start doing that?
1: Uh, Start by having a clear number or a clear idea of where you're going. And don't choose something for the end of 2023. No, I would say start by knowing what you want next year to look like kind of on the whole. Um, But then get very clear about what you want to have brought in in terms of volunteers by the end of this year. This doesn't mean that their volunteer roles are figured out, that they're starting to volunteer consistently, but that you have started having the conversations and at least have a verbal commitment to people helping your organization, whether that's a one-time thing for an event, because you know you have your events planned for next year for your um, fundraising goals. So maybe you have someone who said, Hey, yeah, I'd be willing to help. Like you actually called, asked and said, Hey, we have some events coming up next year. As we get close to that, Would it be okay if I called you? Would you consider volunteering? Try and see how many people like that you can get. Um, And then if you can get some consistent volunteers too, Mm -hmm. work toward those. Um, Events, fundraising events, are a great time to start identifying the people who care about your organization and then asking them to get involved one time. And then as they get familiar with it, asking them to start volunteering on a more consistent basis.
0: Mm -hmm. Between
1: now and the end of the year, we're going into giving month next month, and you're going to be able to see people who are highly interested in your organization, who are supporting you. That is a great place to start. As you are doing these pushes, figure out the people who are telling their friends and family about what you're doing. Figure out the people who are having those conversations, who are doing some of the fundraising work on your behalf who are in connection with you, asking questions like, how can I be helping? How are the goals going? Where is this at? Pay attention to the people who are paying attention to you. Those are likely some of your best volunteers that you can get in the door. Mm -hmm. Um, Or they're going to be the people who can connect you with great volunteers.
0: Absolutely. So you want to be thinking... What are my volunteer goals? And you should have a goal to increase volunteerism in the next year, unless you ha- don't have a goal to grow your, your organization's impact, which, I mean, I, I suppose maybe maybe you're just like, you know what, we're doing good. We're just going to maintain. We're just going to stay the same. I'll just argue that um, nothing just maintains. Everything falls apart over time. Entropy is real. Mm-hmm. And so you want to make sure that you're at least growing enough to combat just things decaying over time. People yeah. move away. People, you know, their lives change. They lose their job, that kind of stuff. So your organization is going to shrink unless you are actively trying to grow. Um, but put a goal out there and say this is how we w- how much you want to increase volunteerism that is consistent volunteerism. Here's how much you want to increase volunteerism that is like first-time volunteerism and like just one-time volunteerism. Have those numbers out there for yourself. Um, and then... After you have those goals set, now you got to start figuring out, okay, how do we actually meet those goals? Mm -hmm. And one piece of advice that we have for you is start thinking about what positions you want filled in the next couple years. Mm -hmm. Is there a board position that you just want to make sure you have backups in case somebody gets too busy? Are there staff positions that you know you want to be hiring for in the next three years? Think about those positions that require you to have a pretty lengthy interview process and that kind of stuff. Those are great places to start and say, okay, we need a board member. Like our treasurer is very busy right now for our board. And I just, I have a gut feeling in the next three years, they're going to need to like step out and let somebody else take their spot. Right? So you think, okay, we need somebody who's good at treasurer type stuff. What volunteer positions can I create or that maybe we, we actually need that we haven't even thought of before? What volunteer positions can we create that are going to nurture and attract the kind of people who are great at being treasurers?
1: Yeah. You, you might be thinking, like, I have to bring someone in to run all of our finances? No. Office admin. Any data entry. Anyone who's just consistently, like, you could bring someone in as a scheduler. Like, it's not necessarily high communication, but it's just making sure that, like, the details Mm -hmm. are getting done time and time again. If you have a task that needs to be done every single month, getting a few people in who are just super detail-driven, they're like, I'm going to make sure this thing gets done perfectly every step of the way. Um, Maybe you have a team that is helping out specific groups of people, and you just need to make sure everything is organized correctly, nothing's falling through the cracks, Those detailed people are probably going to, you know, have those same kind of personality traits within a team of three or four people that you can get in doing that type of work. You'll probably find someone who is able to hold the treasurer role Mm -hmm. Um, because chances are, even if they're not like a CPA or something, they are the you'll find someone who is the type of detailed person who is also like that with their family's finances maybe they work for like a small business that has that kind of stuff. But you want to think through not just what the role is, and how do I create a volunteer role of that exact role, but more what type of character traits or um, what's the word qualities does that person have? And how do I create volunteer roles that are basically going to bring in a whole bunch of people with those traits. But then I can start to kind of get a peek behind the scenes and see who might be a good fit. Yeah, because we're the, into that. You, can,
0: you can sort originally by, you know, okay, they're good at data entry. They're good at the details. They're good at these things. But then through the process of volunteering, you can get a look behind the curtain at the things that are really hard to see in interviews. Like mm-hmm. how, what's their attitude like on a week-to-week basis when they're showing up to volunteer? Like that... Like, people will lie to you in an interview. Oh, 100%. (laughs) They'll be all happy about it. And then all of a sudden, (laughs) right. So, but you can actually see what people's attitudes are like. You can see how much they just understand and mesh with the culture of what you're trying to create because a healthy culture kind of like grows itself, right? And so, you can start to actually use that process to see things that you can't see in an interview. So, be thinking, what are the job positions that we want to offer? How can I turn that like break that down into smaller pieces so that way somebody can volunteer their time and it's not a full-time job?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, another easy example. We talked about the importance of having events planned going into the future. If you did that and you actually have events planned, that also means that your calendar theoretically has a six-week lead up time, the event itself, and the six week follow-up time. Follow-up time. Um, In terms of like marketing and stuff. If you are doing this consistently and your events are growing, at some point you might want to hire someone who is just really good at that kind of work. Marketing. Uh, Marketing, uh, running the events, keeping in touch with the donors or keeping in touch with like um, the people who sponsor the events. Whatever that might look like. A great way to find them is when you're having the events, be paying attention to the people who just get it. The ones who are like, hey... We have some booths here, but I think they should probably be set up this way a little bit because it makes more sense. Um, hey, this welcome sign is here, but if we move it five feet that way, people will see it from the road. Like, look for the people who just see the bigger picture and are able to execute in the moment with, and who are easy to understand. They can just direct people. Yeah. That's where you're going to find those kind of positions. So all I'm saying is regardless of what position it is, there is always a way that you can create a volunteer role. Where you can start finding the people mm-hmm. who are going to be great for those positions. But you have to get a little bit creative with it mm-hmm. because you don't want to create a volunteer. Well, that's like, we're going to need a treasurer. So volunteer role, fake treasurer for two years, like no one wants to do that. Yeah, no, you, it's,
0: you don't want to like throw them into the octagon with each other and be fighting for a staff position because that's not what you want to be doing either. And but, don't
1: tell them it's for a future staff position. Yeah,
0: because you're not going to be able to follow through on that if, if they're bad at it and, and like you're leading them on. That's not good. But um, I will say, oh, no, oh, so you're I was going to say, say one
1: more thing. And the other thing is, if you create a volunteer team that's running so incredibly well You might not ever pull a staff from that group of people. You might realize that staff position isn't even needed. There were times Mm -hmm. when we've led teams or we've been like, all right, we think down the road we're going to need to hire an admin person and then got an admin volunteer team running so well that it's like.
0: I'm glad I didn't promise somebody a job because there are five people perfectly handling what it would have taken one person to do. And they're happy and they enjoy what they're doing and they're getting a lot of like, like Fulfillment, fulfillment out of it. Mm-hmm. Like I don't want to rob them of that by hiring a staff person. So it's like don't yeah, don't dangle a carrot in front of people's faces that you might regret um dangling. I I've made that mistake in the past. Like you do like an internship and you say like, "Oh, there might be a job opportunity at the end of this." And then you get to the end, you're like, "We just need to continue the internship." program and just not have jobs offered at the end of this. let's just like grow the internship program they're getting benefit out of it they're getting letters of recommendation they're getting you know all that kind of stuff is really really good and if they want to move on and use the skills they've learned in different organization that's awesome. so I made the mistake of saying like hey there might be a job at the end of this and then realize like this is actually a bad idea to offer a job out of this internship situation. Because of the value that they're getting and because of the kind of people that are coming, I was realizing they were sort of, they were they were excited to go and accomplish things other places. And so a lot of them didn't even want jobs. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they were like, I'm just excited to be being invested in and have, you know something that I can take with me. It's like, I want to go live in a different state. It's like, oh, well, okay, then. Like, I'm not going to offer you a job then because you don't want it. You're going to want to move in in six months.
1: To just say, this is what the volunteer role is. And at some point, if you get to that moment where you want to hire, pulling aside the leader and saying, hey, you're doing really great work. We would love to actually hire you as a staff person. Let's have Mm -hmm. a conversation. So much better to do that than to tell anyone yeah, in this role, eventually we're probably going to hire someone to be over X because then if you end up changing your mind, you lose a lot of trust with the people that are volunteering with you. Um, But then also you don't get people who are necessarily acting honestly. If people know there's a potential yep. job position and something in their brain is like, oh, I really want that. You're going to see a different mm-hmm. side of them because they're going to make sure to act a certain way because they know This is a long interview process, and dang it, I'm going to get that position.
0: Yep. And so be careful. If your volunteer roles that you've created or internship programs or whatever you want to do, if they require a job to be dangled in front of people's faces, your volunteer opportunity sucks. Like, (laughs) you need to (laughs) offer something to the volunteers that they get so much fulfillment out of it that they... They don't even think about like, oh, maybe I'll get hired to do this someday.
1: Yeah, it's you need an actual value proposition that does not require. And maybe in the future, I'll pay you a nonprofit salary.
0: <laughs> like, <laughs> like if you can't give. Them <laughs> maybe in the future, you'll make less money than 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 what you're making right now. Um But yeah, absolutely. So be thinking, what are the positions that we want to be filling in the next few years? Make volunteer positions out of that. I'd also say, what are the positions that currently are being filled by volunteers or by staff? Start saying, how can we break those things down to be able to be handled by people who are less trained, maybe less trusted? It's okay to create positions that don't require as much trust. Mm hmm. That's how you build trust trustless people is they start with a little bit yeah. and then they prove themselves and then you give them a little bit more. Yeah. And so if you don't have a shallow end of the pool is what is what we like to say. If you don't have a shallow end of the pool, now is a great time to start thinking, OK, what's a shallow end of the pool that I can bring people in that I don't really know and they're not going to break anything. But also they can prove themselves in that. And I can be like, hey sweet, I would love you to move into this other role that maybe that requires a little bit more trust, Mm -hmm. uh, like counting money, cash donations, right? Like you don't want to put like a brand new person in that you've never met before.
1: Or if you're an organization that's working with like youth, uh, teens or kids, like, Uh, like that can be, you know, people are like, well, our only volunteer roles are actually doing the work of working with these, uh, under 18 minors. Like they're minors. Thank you. I couldn't remember the word. Um, (laughs) So with that, you're going to have to get creative on how you can create volunteer roles that aren't working in that environment until that trust has been made. Um, But if you're only relying on letting people volunteer who you already trust, as the organization grows, you're going to limit yourself simply because you're not going to have a way to actually get to know people and build that trust over time. So, um, yeah, just it's so, so, so imperative to find ways to – Figure out people who are interested, get them in, give them work worth doing that brings fulfillment to their lives and actual value to the organization, and then repeat that process time and time again and allow the leaders to lead um, under your direction. Allow people to have different levels of authority within the organization. Not every, like you want every every position to have value, but they don't all need to have the equal amount of value. Sometimes right. people get it like, well, staff people should lead and volunteers should just volunteer. It's like, no, it's okay to have volunteer leaders. Mm-hmm. It's okay to have structure within it. And it's okay
0: to have staff people who just do a task. Mm-hmm. It's yep. okay to have either one. You just got to think about what what is the best choice for the organization. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So
1: with that, like we said, we've talked through planning for next year, how to run the rest of this year, making sure that you're getting the right people in position now so that as your needs continue to adjust and grow over the next 12 months, over the next five years, 10 years, that you're getting the right people in place, that you are not scraping the bottom of the barrel, just trying to get anyone who can fog a mirror to hold a position. Um, It's a great way to build your organization and also a great way to build your finances. Um, With that, this is the last episode of the season. Ted and I are super excited. Um, we are putting together a bunch of classes on growing and retaining volunteers, how to do fundraising really effectively in volunteer organizations, um, how to start nonprofits. We have a whole host of classes that we are in the middle of writing and recording, and they will be launching in January. and we will we will be back with this podcast in january twenty twenty three. In the meantime, if you want to stay up to date with what we're doing and get codes for our pre-launch of our courses, uh, which there will be a significant discount on, go to our Facebook group, Nonprofit, Volunteer and Donor Development. We would love to stay up to date with you and also answer your questions uh, that you might have about your nonprofit so that we can help you continue to grow. So we'd love to see you over there. As always, if you have any questions or your own story that you'd like us to give some feedback on, you can always email us at office at legacybuildersintl.com.
0: Thanks for listening to the Legacy Builders Movement. If you appreciate this podcast and find that it's valuable, the best way that you could help us is to subscribe and leave us a rating and review.
1: To learn more about Legacy Builders, go to legacybuildersinternational.com. That's legacybuildersintl.com.